0: Amen. Good morning. Uh, Well, today we are, we are wrapping up this series, Jesus in His Own Words. And we're going to address today what I think uh, is a very common struggle. And it's how our future, uh, eternal life in Christ, should affect our life now. Uh, Because through Christ, we are all invited into God's family. Uh, We are made new creations, Scripture tells us, uh, through Jesus, and we are uh, promised eternal life with him. And that future is not some uh, wish or fantasy or long shot hope or aspiration. It is eternal life with and because of Jesus, and it is a promised certainty. But even if we believe that in our hearts and our minds, uh, often our actions reveal that we don't really trust that future. Uh, we act as if we are on our own to protect ourselves, to secure our future, and we find ourselves trusting in God only as a last resort when we feel out of control, uh, and we find ourselves praying mainly out of desperation to kind of control uh, circumstances, and so what that means is we are going about our current life as if eternal life isn't real, uh, or that it's only relevant after we die. Um, And so as a result, eternal life, the promise of eternal life with Christ, doesn't change the way that we live now, but that is not how it's meant to be. We are meant to have a durable sense of security because of the love uh, that God has for us, and we're meant to have a resilient joy, even in the face of struggles in life. Uh, But we need help living this way, because left to our own devices, we revert to living as if uh, eternal life is not real. Uh, But the good news is that Jesus is with us, he knows our struggles, he cares, and he wants to give us guidance and encouragement in this area. And one of the ways he did that was through his teaching. And so the question that we're going to kind of explore today uh, is this, how should the promise of eternal life affect my current life? how should the promise of eternal life affect my current life? If you brought your Bible, open up to Luke 12, 16. Luke 12, 16. If you're unfamiliar with the layout of Scripture, uh, the Gospel of Luke is the third book in the New Testament, probably about three-fourths of the way through the Bible. Um, If you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to take one of those on the table. You can just keep that. You can take that home with you. That would be our our gift to you. We will, though, have the scripture on the screens, as we always do, uh, so you can follow along in that way as well. In Luke 12, starting verse 16, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught. A parable is a, a short story that's designed to illustrate a spiritual truth. This is what we've been looking at uh, in this series, and this parable that we're going to look at has been uh, uh, dubbed by scholars the parable of the rich fool. Uh, So let's jump into it. Luke 12, 16. It says this, he told them this parable. All right, we're going to stop there, just like we have for the last several weeks, uh, because we need to think about audience. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and circle the word them. He told them this parable. Who's the them? Uh, Because when you read the Gospels, you you see that often what Jesus taught, what he said, uh, had to do with He was around. He overheard something, someone said something, and it sparked him to respond by teaching. So it's always important to know when Jesus is teaching, who's he talking to? Um, So if you were to back up to the beginning of chapter 12, you would see that thousands of people are crowding around Jesus. They're desperate to hear from him, Uh, people are coming to be healed. And it's just throngs of people all around him. And and in the midst of that, this guy gets close enough to Jesus to kind of throw out something about his situation. And so he says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, he's like tattling on his brother right there (laughs) to Jesus. I got my chance. And so he, he basically asks Jesus to weigh in on this like family matter, this financial matter about inheritance. And Jesus responds to this man not by talking about his situation or inheritance. He speaks to the man's heart. And he responds to this man by saying, you know, be careful about greed. Be careful. And he says, life is not found in having lots of possessions. So he's speaking to this man, and he makes that statement about life isn't found in an abundance of possessions. And then he goes into this parable to further illustrate that point. So let's keep going. Verse 16. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So let's look at what we just read. Uh, The man is uh, a farmer, which is a very normal thing in the first century Palestinian context. Uh, And he's rich, it says. Uh, In fact, highlight that. That's how Jesus introduces a man, a certain rich man. So he's already rich. He's already rich, and now on top of that, he has this great harvest, which wealth, again, was found in your crops and your livestock and that sort of thing. So this uh, man who's already rich is about to increase his wealth quite a bit uh, by this new harvest. And it says he thought to himself—highlight that phrase if you're taking notes—he thought to himself— That's an English translation of the ancient Greek that the New Testament was written in. Uh, And the word there is a Greek word that has to do with reasoning, dialoguing, debating. So this man isn't just kind of passively wondering what to do about all this extra uh, wealth that he has. He's thinking about it. He's reasoning. He's dialoguing with himself about how to handle this surplus. And he ultimately concludes the main problem is that his barns are not big enough. That's the main problem with his situation. So to solve the problem, just construct larger barns. So his identification of the problem and his solution shows us what he's thinking. And he's thinking that all of his riches and now this surplus is for him to keep. That's his assumption. It's all mine. Yeah, it, you know, it kind of reminds me, some of you may have seen this um, quote going around, uh, you know, when you have more than you need, build a bigger table, not a higher fence. This guy was not in a building a bigger table kind of mind frame at all, okay? There's no hint of him thinking he's going to give anything away or share anything. It's all for him. That's where his heart is, and so if his heart's there, of course, building bigger barns is the solution. You know, he he thinks this is a good idea. I'm going to be able to relax, enjoy life, celebrate, He's got grain laid up for many years, it says. Highlight that phrase, laid up for many years. He's got a stockpile. He's feeling good about it. And now God appears as a character in this parable, and he says to him, you fool. Highlight that, you fool. The Greek word there means senseless. It's like, what are you thinking? You see, the man didn't realize his life would end that night. It's not saying that God is taking his life to punish him for this. It, it was already the case that he was going to die that night. And so the man, it, it, in the parable we see, assumes two things. He assumes all of his wealth and possessions are for him and for him to keep. And also that he would just live on for many, many more years and be able to enjoy all of this. He assumed those things. And so everything he's had, who, who, you know, all of his possessions, whose are they now going to be? Jesus says, "This is the reality for anyone who stores up things for themselves." Highlight that stores up. It's in the final uh, sentence there. the The Greek word there for storing up is thesaurizo, which means to treasure something. It's it's the word from which we get thesaurus, which means a treasury. And so this man is storing up, he is treasuring up his possessions. So there's an important distinction there. He's not just storing up and his attitude is kind of neutral about what he's storing up. No, he is treasuring them. He is hoarding things that he loves, he treasures. The picture is he has an affection for his possessions. He is treasuring this stuff up to secure himself. Now, we don't stockpile grain, at least I don't, in our lives to try to sort of secure our future. Um, but we store up other things that we think are going to provide us stability or security or certainty or whatever we're looking for. That might be uh, money. It might be credibility with certain people. It might be a, a reputation, professional or personal reputation. Uh, it could be a resume. You think if I just get these qualifications, I'm good? Um, it could be possessions. Whatever we think will secure our future, we are capable of stockpiling those things to assure ourselves. But look, Jesus is saying we're not meant to treasure those things or trust in those things. We are meant instead to be rich toward God, it says. Highlight that. It's the last few words there. Rich toward God. That, it's kind of an odd expression in English. Uh, What it literally means is um, that that we'd be kind of oriented toward God. His priorities would be our priorities, um, that our heart should be aligned with his heart. That's the picture. Um, So let's think about this for a second. Where did this rich man in the parable go wrong? Uh, Again, he presumed everything he acquired was for him to keep. He assumed he had a long time to live and enjoy that wealth when in his case he actually didn't. But this is the key thing that the parable does not come right out to say but is behind all of this. This man in the parable was worried. He was worried. He was stockpiling for years to come. He had given his heart to his possessions and the security he felt that they could provide. And Jesus had a heart adjustment for for this character from the parable and for us. And it doesn't just relate to money. In fact, the parable, if you just read it on a superficial level, it kind of feels like it's mainly just about money. It's actually about something deeper. It's about a deeper heart issue, and it's worry. Because Jesus, from this point in Luke 12, he's going to continue and explain the parable, and he explains the whole thing in terms of worry. So let's keep reading. Verse 22. Jesus told the parable, and now he's going to explain it. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Highlight that phrase. Do not worry. That's the first of three do nots that we're going to get all related to worry. Um, And it shows us the heart correction that Jesus is trying to uh, provide for us. So he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for. And that means because. So don't worry because life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he gives an example. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He goes and gives another example after that about flowers. Um, But look, the man in the parable was worried about his life, worried about his future. And Jesus is saying, Don't do that. And in fact, the word worry there, I want to talk about what that means because we, I think, tend to think of worry as just sort of a a feeling, just general anxiety about things. But the Greek word here that we translate as worry was more precise. It literally means to have a divided mind. That's what it means. Jesus said, Do not have a divided mind. That's literally what it says in the ancient Greek. And, and it's, it's a word that was used that had to do with um, constantly processing, constantly scrutinizing options, agonizing over things, planning. Your mind is divided. You're, you're living in the future. You cannot fully enjoy the present. You ever feel that way? I know I do. This week, I spent a good part of my week, this week, divided mind. And I think there's a lot of Thought process that we ha- processes that we have that we don't think of as worry, but they so are. You know, I'm not worrying. I'm just planning. I'm not worrying. I just felt like spending the whole weekend researching something. I'm not worrying. I'm just like a processor, so I'm just processing it out. I just love pros and cons lists. I love them so much. I'm not worrying, What do you mean? Different varieties of worry, of having a divided mind. Jesus is saying, don't have a divided mind like that. Now, look, it's okay to plan for the future and be wise and even to save. I mean, Scripture talks about those things, but it's a question of degree. Are you consumed with securing your future? If so, Jesus is saying, your mind is divided. And Jesus is trying to provide reassurance by saying, understand how valuable you are to me. I take care of the birds. You're worth a lot more than them, he says. He wants us to trust in him that he's with us, that he'll take care of us. He's saying, all this energy you're putting into worrying, you're not even adding an hour to your life. One hour, you can't even do it. So it's not worth it at all. Just stop. Now, that's tough advice to hear. I know it is for me. I'm a planner. I get hyper-focused on things. I needed this reminder this week, this encouragement. So Jesus has a second do not for us. Following up the parable, let's keep reading. Verse 29. He said, do not set your heart. Highlight that. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry. Highlight worry again. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, don't set your heart on these immediate concerns. Uh, It's the connotation of following after. Don't chase after these things. Don't make them the object of your sole focus. And then he says again, don't worry about it. But the Greek word there for worry is a different Greek word than the last time Jesus said worry. So now he has another word. You know what this one means? It doesn't mean to have a divided mind. This one means to elevate something too highly. Jesus is literally saying, don't lift too highly these immediate concerns in your life, your your desire to secure yourself and provide for your future. Don't elevate that too highly in your mind. The man from the parable was doing that. He was, uh, you know, accumulating all this wealth and just kind of hoarding it for himself, preparing for his future, making sure he's not vulnerable. Now, look, it's not a problem that he was wealthy. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. The problem is he gave his heart to it. He gave his heart to the pursuit of security and autonomy. He elevated his possessions and his plan too highly. And Jesus is saying that is the wrong path. He says pagans do that. Literally, it says the nations of the world. They're consumed with just providing for themselves and securing their future. Jesus is saying, that's how people act who don't know me. Don't act like you don't know me, is what Jesus is telling us. You don't have to do that. And he tells us why we don't have to do that. It's this amazing answer. He says, the Father knows you and knows what you need. You're not alone. You're not fending for yourself. Everything you know you need, God knows you need too. This is not a surprise to him. Your focus, Jesus is saying, should be on seeking him and his kingdom. That means prioritizing your relationship with God, focusing on that, trusting that he's going to provide. You can loosen your grip on control. That's the picture he's painting. But Jesus had a little bit more to say. Here's the final do not, verse 32. Do not be afraid. Highlight that. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, don't be afraid. It's another way to say, don't worry, don't be afraid. Why? He tells us. God was pleased to give you the kingdom. Highlight that if you're taking notes. He was pleased to give you the kingdom, to give you himself, to invite you into his family. And by the way, that word pleased, uh, it actually means closer to like delighted. It was a joy for him to invite you into his world, into his family, and did you notice what he said just a little bit before that? He, the people he's talking to, he calls little flock. I love that. It's just, you know, sometimes I think we can hear uh, Jesus' words is kind of like everything he said was just very serious and profound and I'm a very serious person with everything he said. You, those little comments, little flock, that just shows the warmth and the affection Jesus had when he's saying this stuff. Don't be afraid, little flock. You know, God, I was pleased to give you the kingdom. You know what that means? He was pleased, overjoyed, to give us this promise of eternal life, life with him, a life so incredibly unimaginable, we, we can't even fathom what it would be like. Um, I remember years ago, someone gave this analogy, I don't remember who, um, to help understand just the magnitude of eternal life in heaven and what that's like. And they said, uh you know, imagine you could go get all of the sand on the beaches in Galveston and you just you could get literally every grain of sand and just pile it up into a big mountain. And it's like, wow, that's a big mountain of sand. Okay, you got all that, great. Get all the sand on all the beaches in this country and make just a giant mountain of sand. And let's assume that's possible for the you know, purposes of this parable. And you know you get all the sand in the country and it's just this mountain. And then, okay, awesome, you got that. Go around the whole world. Get all the sand from every single beach. Bring it here. You're gonna have like a Mount Everest of sand. Get it all here, all the sand on earth. And, and let's say you're able to do all that and you're standing there looking at this monstrosity and then you walk up to the edge of it and you lick your finger and you go like this and you look down at your finger at the 10 or 12 grains of sand and that's what we can imagine of what eternal life in heaven is like and the mountain is what it actually is. It is so beyond our imagination. The joy, it just, it's, it, we don't have words for it. We really don't. And Jesus is saying in this passage about being, God being pleased to give us that. He's saying, if you really understood what eternal life is, you would not have the kinds of fears and worries in the present that you have. If you embrace that, Jesus is saying... It just changes your whole outlook on life. And you'll start doing things that are very countercultural because you have such a sense of security. And he listed in the passage, you know, you can start giving away things to the poor. You can start investing in eternal things, your relationship with God, because you understand how much God loves you and the future he has secured for you. Changes everything. And then Jesus ends with this famous line. Highlight this if you're taking notes. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's that word treasure again. It's the second time it's shown up. It talked about the man in the parable treasuring up his possessions. Here it shows up again. Jesus is saying, your heart is going to follow your money and your possessions and how you handle these things. And that's why God encourages generosity so much in scripture, is not only to enable his ministry and his purposes, but to uh, free us from the grip that money and our possessions can have on our hearts when we hoard them. It, our money will rule us if we don't strip it of its power by giving it away. That's the picture all through scripture. And it's not, it's not just about money either. It's about anything we elevate above God or trust in more than God. So just to kind of quickly summarize uh, what we pulled out of the parable and then we'll talk a little bit about how this affects our life. So Jesus told this parable of the rich fool who was focused on himself securing his own future and in explaining the parable Jesus Um, uh, warned us about avoiding three types of worry so I just want to go through those really quick. The first was this, having a divided mind, not really being here, always thinking somewhere else. The second type was this, elevating present concerns too highly. And the third one really is kind of the root of this, forgetting God's promise of eternal life. Not really Trusting. So, how should the promise of eternal life affect my current life? That's the question we started with, the question the parable was speaking to. Here's the answer. Our hearts should belong to God and His purposes, not to our possessions and our plans. Our hearts should belong to God and His purposes, not to our possessions and our plans. If we really Embrace the magnitude of eternal life waiting for us, accept that God loves us and is with us now, we should find ourselves loosening the grip of control. We should be able to rest in the knowledge that our future is secure and that we don't have to be the ones to secure it. It has been secured for us by Christ. In fact, Paul spoke about this in Ephesians 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, 13 and 14. Look what Paul said. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul was saying when we receive Christ, when he comes into our life and we are saved, we are made a new creation, we receive the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us, that is a deposit. That is God's presence with us now, a taste of that ultimate future with him, a glimpse of God walking with us now as he will one day forever. The Holy Spirit is that guarantee of our eternal inheritance. Our future has been secured. All it takes is faith in Christ. I want to read one verse from 1 Corinthians it's talking about eternity. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Can't even imagine it. <laughs> we don't need to worry about our lives, have that divided mind. We don't need to elevate too highly our own needs or desire for security. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to trust in our own plans and our possessions. We can instead trust in the one who is trustworthy. Give our hearts to him and his purposes here and now. You know, he's the God who created us, who uh, loves us, who invites us to his banquet. We looked at that earlier in this series. The God who invites. He comes after us when we wander. He's the God who listens when we pray and grows us to look more like him. Apart from him, we can do nothing, Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. And so I want to just put a statement on the screen that I think kind of gets at uh, a lot of what we've talked about today. Our heart's desire should be that our heart desires the Lord more than anything else. Our heart's desire should be that our heart desires the Lord more than anything else. If that's true of us, then our fears and our worries, though they may never fully disappear in this lifetime, uh, they will grow dimmer and they will fade and then one day in eternity, they'll be gone. But we need God's help Uh, for this to be true of us. We can't do this in our own strength. Uh, So let me pray that he does this work in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We don't take for granted the chance to meet and to worship you and to learn and to consider your word. Jesus, we confess that we routinely trust in things other than you. We forget where our security comes from. We trust in ourselves and our own plans and our possessions and the uh, material and immaterial things that we accumulate that we think will give us hope in a future. But Lord, we know that you are the one who secures our future and it is a future of unimaginable joy. And God, we want that hope, that promise of eternal life to change our life now. We don't want it to be something that we don't believe is going to happen or we we only think is relevant when we die. No, we want to live differently now because of what we know is true about you and our future. And Holy Spirit, we need you to do this work in our hearts because on our own, in our own strength, we are going to default to trusting ourselves, trusting in what we can accumulate, securing our own future, and we are going to worry and we're going to be afraid. But we don't want that to be true. Lord, we want our heart's desire to be that our heart desires you more than anybody else, than anything else. That we can walk with you through life, even the ups and downs, even the tough times, and just have that durable sense of security, that resilient joy in the face of tough times. And that can only be true, we know, if you grow us into that, if you do that work in our hearts. So, Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We ask that you would make that true of us. Help us to lean on you, to turn towards you and trust you in this life and to look forward with an unwavering hope to eternity that you have planned and prepared for us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.